7.32 nearly. Uh, Time to check in now on the plight of adoptees in the United States who fell through the cracks of a 2015 law automatically granting citizenship to children adopted from 2001. Even under the Obama administration, that didn't help prominent Korean-American adoptees like Adam Krabser, who was deported back to this country just over a year ago at the age of 41 following criminal convictions but after a particularly tough upbringing. As he told this radio show previously, he was told to return to a nation he never really knew. He'd been a toddler, um, barely a toddler, when he was taken to the US in the first place. So what now, under a Trump government that has been less than sympathetic towards less fortunate arrivals? Let's first speak with Joy Alessi, co-director of the Adoptee Rights Campaign, to hear more about ongoing efforts to shed light on this blind spot. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about this important issue. Yes, well, it's good to have you, as I said, with us. And can you perhaps start by sharing your story and, and how you have developed personal links with this campaign? Right, Certainly. So um, I am an adoptee from South Korea. I was born in 1966 and came over to the United States um, as, you know, just a baby. Um, in my case, I was fortunate enough that at the time, U.S. immigration law required uh, parents to uh, pre-approve or, or receive their resident status before they were before we were brought over. So this one visa provision has immensely made a difference um, between myself and other um, adoptees, such as Adam. And I became involved in the campaign um, probably about two years ago when I realized that as a result of not having my citizenship, I was not going to be able to receive um, my pension here in the United States, something that I've paid into for a long time. But in terms of the adoptee story, I share many of the similar um, circumstances that Adam had um, experienced in terms of um, uh, abusive family background, um, rehoming, and ultimately um, neglected citizenship status. Well, people who've never gone through this or never experienced it in any way, um, they might think, how on earth can this happen? But... As many as 18,000 adoptees, according to estimates, that would be the higher end, um, lack citizenship. And, and some of them apparently don't even know it themselves until they try to get a passport. This is very true. This is very true. And I believe the numbers are uh, maybe closer to um, somewhere between 35,000 and maybe as many as seventy. Or wow, so. so it could be even uh, higher. Right. So, so, I mean, right, that is true. It's very hard to get a precise number on these things because, as, as we've just suggested, um, some of these people don't even know it themselves, right? That, that is very true. And also keep in mind that uh, adoption, intercountry adoption, went unregulated for so many years. So there weren't protocols for tracking. But how is it even possible uh, again for people who who just find it bemusing uh common sense would dictate that that uh you know you hear the story of someone who was brought to america at the age of one or two or three or whatever the case is and they are basically american in every sense H- how can 
any official turn around and say, sorry, we're going to send you back to a country where you don't know anyone? Or, or maybe you, you, you've got a very vague communication because you've tried to get back in touch with your birth mother, for example. But that's, that's not exactly an umbilical cord to your home country, is it? <laughs> right. You're exactly right. And that's the question that you've asked is um, the question that we ask. And um, we're glad that our, the public is asking it. Um, we need that. We ask our lawmakers that. Um, and unfortunately, in their environment, with their eyes on many different other issues that surround the issue of immigration, um, there just doesn't seem to be um, just yet a mechanism for separating these two issues. So this is really about, um, for us, it's about adoption, about equal rights, about family permanency. For them, this is an immigration issue. And as we all know in the United States right now, immigration is just a very, very difficult, uh, tough tough subject to to unwind well let's touch on that for a moment if this was challenging under the obama administration which apparently it was because that's when we're talking about uh, for example adam Krabs's deportation uh how challenging is this likely now to become under donald trump well <laughs> As you can imagine, if you know what's going on in the United States, you know what we're up against. Um, it's very tough. Any, you know, immigration reform has been argued for many years now. So, yes, we have an incredible struggle, um, but we continue to fight for this. We are also hopeful because we believe that there might be a window right now um, in terms of um, most recent uh, statements by um, administration uh, with, you know, regards to um, uh, more favorable bills. Um, so we're hopeful if there was, is going to be a time in this administration for this, we're hopeful that now is that time and now is our window. Well, thank you so much for joining us, for setting up this discussion. We're going to go into it in a little bit more detail on, on the broader range of issues related to immigration. But for now, Joy Alessi, co-director of the Adoptee Rights Campaign, good luck with your efforts. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, um, well, right now, um, all the headlines seem to suggest that a US government shutdown is looming uh, because of the aim to reach a budget deal and the challenges in reaching a budget deal. Uh, We see this come around every so often, increasingly it feels like. Um, And in fact, again, that was something that we spoke about under the Obama administration. This is a time when, when you'll see from both sides of the aisle politics taking center stage and and the budget bill uh, or budget reform or whatever we're pushing at is often held as a, as a bargaining chip. Um, so just against that background, U.S. President Donald Trump caused a storm by referring to certain African nations in a particularly degrading term that we can't even repeat on radio. He was apparently speaking during a bipartisan Oval Office meeting lately on immigration reform. And to hear more about that, Professor Jill Family, Director of Law and Government Institute at Widener University Law School, joins us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. 
And what's the latest, uh, especially in light of the government's budget being held out as this bargaining tool? What is the latest on efforts to have DACA or deferred action for childhood arrivals looked at very closely, um, protecting young adult immigrants? Well, the first thing to understand is that the DACA program itself is not legislation passed by Congress. So what's going on now is that since President Trump has said that he refuses to continue that program as an executive branch program, that the only way to ensure um, continued presence for those individuals who had been receiving DACA would be through a statute, through Congress to enact legislation. And so what Democrats are saying is that they want protection for those individuals who who have DACA but will be losing it soon through legislation, and they want that legislation um, to be included in in any budget deal. President Trump is blaming Democrats for blowing the DACA deal. What do you think of that claim? Well, honestly, it's it's hard to measure that because President Trump has been sending such wildly mixed signals in terms of his intentions on immigration. On the one hand, we have, you know, uh, some really just indefensible remarks that, quite frankly, he's... Um, been sort of in a habit of that for years. Um, on the other hand, earlier in the week, he was saying, you know, he might do a deal with the Democrats. Now he seems to be seeing, saying not. So I would say, you know, never say never. And, you know, this is going to be the kind of thing that's going to go down to the wire. And how will the delay in trying to find a deal affect the so-called dreamers and their families? Oh, it's these these individuals um, who have DACA, the executive program. They've just been put on this emotional roller coaster ride that no one should ever have to endure. I mean, they just don't know what their future holds. They don't know whether or not they'll be able to be able to stay with their families. I mean, one thing to understand is that many uh, people in the United States who don't have legal status live in what we call mixed status families, meaning that there are U.S. citizens um, in their immediate families. They don't know whether or not they're going to be able to keep living with their families, if they're going to have to move to a country that they don't really know. Um, they don't know if they're going to be able to continue working in their jobs. And, you know, this affects U.S. employers as well, because uh, U.S. employers don't know if they're going to be able to keep valued employees who they spent money on training and who have become, you know, parts of the community. Well, as the uh, Washington Post has been uh, reporting, um, Democratic leaders are unlikely to support any budget deal that does not protect young illegal immigrants. Uh, Republicans trying to arrange some sort of short-term spending deal, according to this latest report from the last few hours. And uh, apparently, if they can't agree, the government will shut down at midnight Friday for the first time since 2013. Do you think this is all going to come to a head this week, or do you you think it's going to go beyond Friday? I mean, I know it seems like Friday is not that far away, but our experience in the United States is that we've had these budget um, deadlines before, and they're, you know... Usually there is some sort of something that's worked out at the last minute. But I think what we have to think about is 
part of the problem is that you have two really fundamentally opposed visions of the future of the United States and the role of immigration in that future, um, particularly with, you know, the Trump administration has sort of a view of immigration law that has no proportionality to it. I mean, imagine if there were any other area of law where the only acceptable solution to um, an infraction would be the toughest punishment possible. And that's essentially what happens in immigration law in the United States. The only available, quote-unquote, punishment is deportation or removal. And so, you know, part of the problem is you just have two sides on an issue that just fundamentally don't even agree on how to conceive of the issue. You know, I, I'm personally not trying to make it a political issue by drawing on democrat leaders versus republicans that they've made it that issue by taking those positions from a very human perspective regardless of where one lies politically you talked before about mixed status families if this goes wrong for the so-called dreamers what happens next is it like the adoption issue we were just talking about before where people who identify as american uh, end up separated having to go back to countries they don't really know anything about? Yes, that's a real possibility. And so um, those who ha still have DACA, um, it's been issued previously in two-year increments. So those who have DACA now, as their current two-year period begins to end, will lose DACA and will become subject to removal, just like anyone else who's in the United States without permission, and the Trump administration has made it pretty clear that to them, anyone who's in the United States without permission is a priority for removal. And so I think that individuals um, with DACA are, you know, very right to be concerned that if, you know, there isn't some sort of congressional fix, there will be a very, you know, very real chance that they could end up in a situation where they're separated from immediate family members and uh, living in a country that, you know, they may have left when they were three years old. Can this situation be protected, do you think, from the uh, 19th century, early 20th century attitudes that seem to be servicing President Trump putting words to it when he when he suggested the U.S. should be taking migrants from countries like Norway rather than um, from trouble hit areas like Haiti or El Salvador. Uh, you know, while that's very disturbing to hear, is, are opinions like that really going to manifest themselves in law? Well, I, I hope not. Um, you know, we've certainly been here before in the United States in immigration law. We've always sort of in the United States have sort of sent conflicting signals about immigration law. On the, on the one hand, immigration is really is embedded an essential piece of our, our national character. On the other hand, there's always been these qualifications um, and fears about immigrants. And so on the one hand, it's upsetting to think that we could be heading back in that direction. On the other hand, um, there's hope in the fact that we've been there before and we've circled out of that kind of thinking and adopted a more, a fairer immigration system that needs reform, but I think there's, there's, there's hope. Well, for now, thank you very much, Professor Family. Very appropriate name for this subject. It's good to have you with us on the line. <laughs> thank you so much. Professor Jill Family.